getting that product market culture fit depending on where your evolution is a very very important point when you're trying to build globally that is what many a times a lot of business leaders forget welcome friends to the growth genius my name is kaushal thakkar i'm the founder of infidigit and your host for this show the topic for today is build local sell global the growth genius we are meeting today is ankit rawal who is the director of business development and partnerships at afl hi ankit welcome to the growth genius thank you so much for being on the show how are you doing today hi kashish thanks i'm doing good thanks for having me on the show today great so ankit for the audience who does not know you well if you could help us with your introduction yeah sure hi guys my name is ankit rawal I currently lead the business development and partnerships for Afil. Uh, I've been around for the last couple of years here. Afil, incidentally, I came on board through an acquisition called Visuri a couple of years ago, and I've been anchoring that merger in the last couple of years, and also leading international growth for Afil. So I keep spinning the globe and try to sell Afil propositions. from australia to us and the whole world in between prior to that i was with inmobi from the early founding days i was there for almost 7 years and in my last remit i was the country head for inmobi india and before that i worked in companies like microsoft and oracle so i am someone who's like a scale up guy who's been fortunate enough to see companies grow from 0 to 1 1 to 10 and 10 to 100 and we also became a public company so i had the great privilege and honor to go to a stock market a bombay stock exchange last year to ring the bell so great uh, experience largely around business development growth marketing and building businesses from scratch especially in international markets great that's wonderful and ankit i would like to add over there that ankit also speaks at several b schools and teaches us at several of the b schools so that's a little about you and uh, yes ankit uh, thanks a lot for your introduction we could not have anybody else better than you for covering this particular topic of build local sell global before we go on to the topic let's discuss a little more about afl you already mentioned about visuri but yes what does afl do Yeah, so Apple is interestingly, it's a 15-year-old company started here in India. With the founders are in India, and we're largely in the business of mobile advertising. So today, what's happening is, as consumers, there are billions of people out there who are using smartphones, and every business and service uh, which used to happen offline is now becoming an app on the phone. It started primarily with gaming, but then it transcended to retail shopping. It transcended to transportation services travel companies and now uh, during covid this has also made a lot of other services like health tech or even education go offline which was consumed offline entertainment to a app on the phone and what we really do is help these businesses to get the right audience so say for example i am a flipkart and i want to uh, reach out to all those users on their devices who wants to uh, use flipkart for shopping and you are talking about billions of people right if i look from a global lens how do you ensure that the right ad comes to the right user so that they go ahead and download the app and at the same time also engage with it so that the downstream metrics whether it is sale or order or ride is good to make that magic happens through technology is what afl does as i said before afl is public company we listed last year in bombay stock exchange and incidentally it's one of the few companies out there which is public in our domain and that's what we do we are a global setup we have offices across india southeast asia us europe 
even in Russia and some parts of CIS as well as China, Korea, Japan. So that way, a very global nature because digital apps like the Flipkart could be an app in anywhere in the world and we help them to acquire the right users at scale. Great. Thanks a lot for that. And Ankit, moving on to our topic of build local, sell global. While it sounds really easy, it has its own challenges, especially while building things locally itself has its own challenges. According to you, what are the frequent mistakes that leaders make that you recommend that they avoid? This is a very interesting problem and I've been fortunate enough that that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years where I've been part of teams both at Inmobi and now at Affil where my role was largely spin the globe and sell in many of these markets from Australia, Korea, Japan, all the way to US. And I think I can take pride that but for say Antarctica, I have sold at least in one country in each of the other continents. I think in today's world, right, post-COVID, this becomes even more interesting because uh, whether you are selling to someone in Bombay, Bangalore, Beijing or Bay Area, you are doing Zoom calls, you are doing Google uh, Meets, etc. Right? So I think in today's post-COVID new normal, if I can put it that way, building globally becomes even more relevant because whether you are trying to build a, to sell something in your local market, regional market or global market, these are those remotely done. But having said that, I think in the last 10-12 years of my journey trying to develop local, sell global, I saw two or three interesting things, which is not very obvious, which many a times a lot of leaders, business leaders, sales leaders miss. I think I can talk a couple of few of them now. I think the first uh, and interesting one is the product market culture fit. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners had heard about product market fit. But one of the other key important to keep in mind, especially when you're trying to do go to market in a new geography or a new region is the product market culture fit. And let me explain this a little bit more. So, right. So in the Western world, when I say Western world, whether it is US, Western Europe are largely a culture of do it yourself. What it entails, if you're a software company, is there your software documentation, SaaS documentation has to be top notch. You need to have a lot of self-help guides, frequently asked questions. You need to have a proper ticketing system. You need to have a complete payment workflow, which works on the do-it-yourself model. Versus if you are in emerging markets, which is India, Southeast Asia, Latin America, etc. We are a culture of do it for me, right? Like today, if you take a parallel, right? We generally, as people filing taxes, we don't do it ourselves. This is a time when you have to file taxes. We'll be working with a consultant who will do that. You have to find a prospective spouse. We will be working with some kind of a middleman who do it for us. So... And that translates also in terms of the way we use software products, right? So while we have a lot of guides and manuals, people, they really want that they can pick up the phone and ask them for the help, right? And that's why we have a huge tele-calling center kind of uh, setup in this country because we want to have that human touch. We want to have that human voice and connect. And I think this nuances because every company, every startup in its evolution would be at different spaces. Like we typically, when we start building a product or a company, we start for do it for me kind of a mindset. We throw people at problems and over a period of time, you try to move to a more self-serve, do-it-yourself kind of model. Now, I think this realization is very, very important. I'll give you a very real example. So this is, imagine Circa in Mobi 2009. We had just pivoted from M coach because that's how in Mobi had started and we have moved to the ads business, right? And Naveen came from Harvard, X McKinsey, IIT Kanpur, a very, very like Western influence, etc. And at that point of time, and I'm talking about 2000, right? Like today, startups is still a big thing and people know about it. Right? But back then, 
the only playbook we had as a company was look to companies like TCS, Infosys, and the playbook was to go rush to go to US. But we very soon realized that we were still a Series A company. Our product was crappy. We had rough on the edges. And this was not the right time to enter US because had we entered that time, we would have easily got killed because we were nowhere close to the self-serve. We never had the clean workflows. It was rough on the edges. And there we took a strategic call and like everybody in that time would say, oh, go to US. That is the right market. This is the playbook what TCS Infosys had done. But we took a conscious choice that because a product market culture fit is yet not there for a more developed market like US, we would rather focus on emerging markets like Southeast Asia, Middle East, Africa. And if you think of it, right, you're still catering to almost 2 billion people out there. We got our first move advantages. And despite being little patchy, we were able to get good traction. And that positive loop really helped us that virtuous network effect, which we know today, where we were able to get better understanding from our feedback from our clients. We were able to build better algorithms. The products, use cases were thought through well and that fine-tuned. And ironically, US was the last market we entered at in Mobi Wave only, I think, in 2013 or uh, late 2012. So the point I'm trying to say is that getting that product market culture fit, depending on where your evolution is a very, very important point when you're trying to build globally. And that is what many a times a lot of business leaders forget. The other interesting thing which I'll talk about, which is also very true, is that as startups, we always try to not identify what is our core and what is the chore. And I think that distinction between what is core to your organization and what is chore and I need to really focus on core and not on chore is very, very important because we try to do everything on ourselves. And I'll again give an example from a selling perspective, right? So interestingly, my first stint at InMovie was in Africa. And one of the interesting Mm -hmm. quote in one of the client meetings I read there was that it's a very old African proverb, which says that if you want to run fast, you run alone. But if you have to run far, you have to run together. If you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run together. And I think that is where we realize that if you have to really build a global company, doesn't mean that I have to hire locally. I have to have local offices in each market. I can also work with a lot of partners. And partners also come with varied kind of background. Some folks will be very good, the local know-how relationships, but really not technology background. Versus some would be who would want to like leverage your technology and resell in the market. But I think we we tried two, three different models, but we had really fine-tuned the whole act of partnership approach rather than direct sales approach. And incidentally, we figured out that we should invest a lot of efforts in technology. So whatever investments we raise or customers' money have to go into building the IP and the distribution, the GTM can work with local partners. So I remember in Africa and then this started with Africa, but then in a lot of geographies where we decided not to have local feet on street, we would identify a veteran entrepreneur or someone who's in the limited industry and now wants to move to a consulting kind of a role. And he or she will get the local know-how, the local connects and we married with our own technology and together we are able to penetrate the market much faster and much cheaper. So partnership is one of the other interesting thing, which is something we need to keep in mind when you're trying to build globally. Great. So that would be the two points, right? Yeah. And if you allow me, I can talk one more interesting point, which again is not maybe relevant for global market, but very, very important when you're trying to build a new category or build a new company. Sure. Um, would love to hear that as yeah, well. So I, I think the third interesting point, which again, not relevant for any geography or market, but is that many a times when you're trying to create a new category, you need to sell the problem first before you sell the solution. 
and many a times as sales people as business leaders we don't really understand what is the customer problem or the way we see the problem the customers never see that so whenever a startup is trying to sell something innovative you have to first change the lens through which your stakeholders see the world to sell a novel idea to a prospective customer investor even to your early employees you have to first change the way they think rather than how they think you have to first change how they think so that you can sell them what you are trying to sell and the problem is that like when i was growing up right the truth was that i see it when i believe it unless mm-hmm. i don't believe it i'll never see the problem so you have to change that lens like for example and this is a classic case which salesforce pioneered right so when the whole on premise cloud was very big salesforce came with this whole notion that the whole idea of buying software is not right it has to be the renting software and that's when they became the whole proponent of cloud and everything so they were trying to sell the problem before they said oh we are the right solution for that and i think that is very very important and incident in my career also between inmobi and apple i was doing a gaming startup where we were trying to make ads beautiful within games and very soon we realized that the challenge was the mindset among our stakeholders were oh games are played by kids this is not my right tg why should i show ads there and a lot of time my effort was not about why our company greedy game is the right fit for you but why gaming is the right fit for you or give them enough data anecdotes that how a certain tg whether it is young adults whether it is even housewives who are playing lot of games like for example today candy crush at that peak was played maximum by housewife which were age of 35 years and more and if you are a fmcg brand like a unilever or a dabur or a png and you want to reach out to those kinds of audience beyond the gc which was prevalent those saas bahu serials gaming was a very right audience and today actually a lot of companies do that but that time right. we used to struggle and that's where we discovered that we sell the problem first and then selling the solution is very very easy so i think that is the third interesting learning which i learned and this obviously could apply globally not just from an indian context is important mm-hmm. that when you are trying to build a global company so a product market culture fit which is very very important you need to understand where you are and which market it is and you need to have that fit right second is partnership so don't try to do everything figure out what is your core and let the chore happen by other folks and third sell the problem first before you sell the solution thanks a lot ankit thanks for summarizing too it really helps and this a few things should help leaders in creating the right product or the right technology the next crucial thing which comes in is building the organization itself and when it comes to building the organization it's more about the culture which is one of the crucial element of any organization many leaders make a mistake of outsourcing the culture just to the hr how do you suggest that leader influence a growth culture within their organization you know very interesting question right and someone who's into sales and marketing where today a lot of your time gets spent on hardcore numbers right culture sounds very fuzzy and as you rightly said something to be outsourced to the hr department and if you think of right, right culture itself is a very difficult thing right is it something which is imbibed through museums is it something that makes someone a better person right because we say he or she is better cultured or is it something which inducts you into a group right so culture always have been very very fuzzy and difficult to understand right but the irony is that over century right so whether you are a team of 3 or a country or a civilization culture exists in every community and this is what we had grappled especially at inmobi when we i was in the early phases that what kind of culture you want to grow in the organization right should it be like a weed which grows unconsciously or you really invest to build the right culture 
So we did a lot of research and obviously talking to bigger companies, a lot of people who have much more understanding about that. And I think what we really boiled down the whole culture and again, going back to my analytical skills and our founder analytical skills, that culture can be depicted in a three-tier pyramid. The bottom of the pyramid is the philosophy, which is largely what are your belief system? What are the values you value as an organization, as a team, as a company? And that is the base of the pyramid, which is the philosophy or the values you value. Then on top of it, you build the mythology or the folklore. So for example, what are those stories, situations you want to let people know that how they should behave in a certain situation? For example, how do you make those values, right? So we can talk about our values is integrity, our values is entrepreneurship, our values is customer centricity. But how do you really make it personal and real for someone in a team, right? And also across teams. So that is what we cull down to as the mythology or the stories which you would talk about. Say, for example, we used to have this story that if you are in a customer-oriented role, whether you close the deal or not close the deal, they should go back with saying, oh, it was great engaging with folks from a certain organization because they exhibited like that. Uh, And if you are talking about ownership, then it doesn't matter whether you are working on Saturdays or you're working late night because you believe that that is your account and you have to grow the account and whatever it takes, you will go ahead and do that. And on the top of the pyramid is largely the rituals, right? Like if I again take analogy of how it happens across different religions or culture, there are certain rituals you follow, which really make some of these personas come alive. Like for example, we used to have the sales ritual that every time there is a certain IO, we call it, which is nothing but a PO, which a particular sales guy closes. We had a big ring in the center of the floor. So they would go ahead and ring the bell and everybody will stand up and acknowledge that as a ritual. So Mm -hmm. I think building that is something very, very important. And like, if you think about the whole corporate culture, right, which is a lot talked about these days, Mm -hmm. while every company or every, like within a team, a company can have its own culture. But what I also figured out in the last few years in all these companies, while we were trying to build the culture, there are certain aspects, which irrespective of which company or which team you are, has to be there. And I think the first fundamental thing is trust. So every culture should command and demand trust among its community, right? So if there's a trust deficit, it leads to fear, which leads to processes and policies rather than philosophies. Like, for example, in a lot of companies, you have this a leave policy, a travel policy, an expense policy. And what happens mm-hmm. is if you go by data, you'll see there'll be only 2% of employees who will be breaking that trust, who will be breaking that. What you end up doing is for those 2% bad apples, you are penalizing the 98% of the people. So the more trust you build within your community, within your team, you will have less Mm -hmm. of policies and more philosophy. So if my philosophy is obviously to work on like spend money as if it is your own money rather than company's money, you obviously will not have overshooting of your travel expense bills or client entertainment bills and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. The other interesting aspect for any country is And any insights into how to build trust? Actually, that's a very important point. In fact, in one of my other avatars, when I had come on board at Vizuri, this was what we had done, right? Because that, and that's the other irony, right? So when I came on board on Apple, I actually came to run Bizuri. And I was neither part of Bizuri nor part of Apple. And my job was to ensure that the whole acquisition goes right. And I think what I've realized is to build trust, especially in that context, right? Because there are two different companies, two different DNAs. It was important that there are no different policies in terms of leave or the lifestyle of the two companies has to be same. There doesn't have to be a, parent-child relationship, right? So Apple has acquired Visuri doesn't mean whatever Apple says, Visuri has to agree or vice versa. So depending on the context, like for example, if you're in a smaller team, 
and especially today like we are working in a covid time right there is no login log out time because incidentally you keep on working like late in the evenings if you are in a client facing role because you are supporting different time zones so we now have completely gone away with that whole policy of what time you log in what time you log out as long as the business get done doesn't matter what time of the day is done so trust you have to the point is that there are multiple avenues trust is takes time to build small small instances when you have those opportunities where you can build trust with your team you can build trust with your customer like many a time we say no to a client because we realize that the pricing they are saying cannot work and we are happy saying no because we know that at that right deliverable somebody will hoodwink but we are not the ones who will run the campaign we in fact sometimes go back to the client saying that we want to reduce the pricing because you are overpaying us so that's so again there's no one simple answer every instance every incidence where you can get a chance to build trust either within the organization or outside the organization is always good and the more trust you build the lesser policies you will have lesser process you will have thank you and sorry i interviewed you yeah. while you were speaking on the culture anything more you yeah, would yeah i think the other important aspect is around progress right so growth movement opportunities what do you call it right it's like the oxygen for every company or culture like we would have not come here as a civilization if you are not progressing if you are not experimenting taking risks and then hopefully some risks will fail most risks will either fail some of them will burn and that will really drive us further as a civilization as a company so you really need to always show progress to your team to your as a leader you have to always keep showing progress you have to help people drive what they want and figure out the match right because obviously not all the times and that's the other thing right you cannot always be going by what the company says so there has to be some overlap like what we call the venn diagram where you have to get alignment among your team but also show progress both professionally as well as personally so which means that there needs to be much more open communication collaboration and unless that is not happening in any organization or a civilization or a country that progress is not happening then that's a perfect recipe for fail so just to summarize i think culture is like the fevicol or that glue which keeps us all together and that is relevant whether you are a team of 3 whether you are a country or company or even a civilization nice and yeah so we are done with the initial building blocks we are done with the culture the next important thing which you already mentioned was about the progress and progress is a very crucial thing be it business growth revenue growth that's something which is needed for every organization and it's driven by the business team any best practices that you suggest for building a successful business team yeah again this is one of those very interesting questions and obviously there's no right and wrong answer but again in my journey of the last 14 15 years across both bigger companies like microsoft oracle as well as early stage startups to startups which scale from 0 to 1 to 100 i think few of the mm-hmm. learnings which i had right i think first very important thing is as an organization or as a business team you need to understand where are you in your own journey are you in those early phase which i call 0 to 1 because if you are in early phase the kind of skill sets you will require is someone who's more go getter stay on attitude etc versus if you are in that 1 to 10 kind of a journey you need someone who's more of a collaborator someone who can partner things and if you are really a stable company like big organizations then you are really craving for stability you are craving for cross pollination etc etc so i think as a good chef you don't use the same knife right and you have a plethora of knives whether it is a cleaver or a parting knife as a business mm-hmm. leader you have to really understand where you are either as a team or as an organization in evolution depending on that 0 to 1 or 10 to 100 or 100 phase you need a respective skill set there mm-hmm. and interestingly we also failed this a lot actually so 
again in one of our organizations this is typically happens that when you close funding especially series b you have enough money in the bank you say no this is the time i have to scale you will go you will hire the top talent from a mckinsey or a unilever or in our case it was google with the right pedigrees and the right relevant experience what we forgot was that we still a startup right we still series b still a lot of processes are in work in progress and we are still not a very big brand right so you many times a sales person had to sit at reception for 30 minutes because many times your potential client will not take you seriously your product was still rough on the edges and yeah. you may not still have a very strong travel desk for example you are still trying to manage the product at the same time trying to grow and there was this whole cultural crash right people who were coming from very big establishments like a google or a unilever or mckinsey versus where we were in our evolution they have always used to have this challenge right because if you are coming from a google and so you are you are accustomed to a swanky office a cafeteria versus we were still not yet there because we are still a series b company so i think that is where the right talent and we felt that we did it wrong by getting such talented people not at the right evolution for us so i think that learning at where you are and depending on what stage you are what are the right skill sets you are looking for are very very important mm-hmm. but once you've got the right team i think then it is like a flock of birds so every person should know what they are doing where they are going and how does it fit into the larger story so that they know where they are headed and it's a collective goal and then if one person veers off in the wrong direction the people around them should be able to help them get back on the path and go to the company like the direction you want to go so a choose the right set of people with the relevant skill sets depending on where you are in your journey and once you have gotten them always over communicate always fly like a flock of birds so that people know what they are doing but also where they are heading that sense of purpose i think is very very important and uh, i think the last parting thought in that i'll say is that in any team right whether you are a small company or a big company are you in a x vertical or y vertical i think certain traits or smart skills i say are very very relevant even today and i think one of them is obviously curiosity so a penchant for seeking new experiences knowledge because especially today where the whole industry can go out of business in a few uh, months right like take covid for example any mm-hmm. business or yeah. a person who was trying to teach something offline like take a yoga instructor for example right now those guys all of a sudden the, there was a lockdown these guys were shut and now you have to quickly unlearn your current skills and see how can you create a page on instagram can you engage with your potential clients on uh, digital media etc so that ability mm-hmm. to unlearn and relearn very quickly which means that you need to always have curiosity you need to be asking for new experiences knowledge and taking feedback etc i think that skill set irrespective of what evolution you are is very important and the other is obviously determination because the wherewithal to fight difficult goals despite challenges and bounce back from adversity is very very important right success is not always about greatness it is about consistency if you consistently put in the right hard work success will happen greatness will come but that whole determination perseverance is something which is true irrespective of whether you are in a early stage company or a late stage okay thank you so when we understood about the business team and how to create growth one next thing which we would like to understand is about creating the global presence what are your views on that so again i think the good question today to ask is what do you mean by global right because as i was explaining before that today in the post covid world the world has really become flatter right and i tell this to my team that geography is history now because if you have someone you are want to engage with irrespective of whether they are in your city country your time zone or internationally you are trying to do calls like this and i think this will be the new practice obviously once there's a vaccine out there people will start traveling but still 
much more business travel will be reduced and people will be more comfortable with online tools so in that sense then geography is history now and what then it means is that especially from a b2b context uh, rather than having a local office you need to have a website or presence in social media platform so from a b2b context when you're trying to build a global presence uh, it is very important that you need to have like uh, your company and their value propositions available starting obviously with the basic hygiene of a website but also on social media platforms like a linkedin or say quora or twitter if you're in the b2b space or for example there are a lot of these b2b portals of late which are likes of g2 crowd captera sourceforge so you need to have your listings and reviews there and there are other industry specific classifiers so this is more from a software side where we work in but every industry has its own industry specific verticals classifieds so you need to be present there you need to have case studies testimonials product videos webinars and podcasts like these become very important tool to engage with your prospective clients and then obviously a lot of content marketing whether it is newsletters white papers infographics research studies press releases so i think in today's world and more so going forward a virtual presence is more important than actual physical presence so if you don't exist for me on the virtually you really don't exist for me and the, the discovery of your product and service is not possible so i think that is the first starting block of building a global organization and then obviously typically what we've seen in this model and even more going forward the talent need not always be limited to your city or your company can be also international right all of us has seen that for example today in the bay area a lot of employees are moving to more the center part of us because it is much more easy and that's also going to happen here in india where the whole gig economy or gigification will happen going back to what i said core versus chore and companies will only focus on the core and for other things you will start working with partners etc to make it happen and True. you need to then build a core technology which is more like the hub and then you also you'll have spoke satellite offices in geographies to cater to a certain segment or a certain geography for example here at apple we now have a very small team in china korea japan but we have invested much more on our websites on our localized collaterals because language becomes a barriers etc etc but i think today it is much easier to build a global organization than say it was 10 years ago because of the overall context whether it is in terms of digital adoption whether it is in terms of uh, that mindset that yeah it doesn't matter that you are in this geography uh, because anyways you'll be doing calls and meetings like this and then obviously you have events where you go and meet and greet your clients once a quarter or once a year kind of thing that's interesting and when we speak about this people spread across different areas different regions that's where the cross cultural aspect comes into the picture and you have been managing a lot many people spread across different geographies different culture what are the key challenges which a person has to manage when he or she is managing cross cultural teams and how do you handle these challenges no absolutely and again i said i've been fortunate enough to work with team members whether it was china korea japan to a lot of people in africa and within africa also there are different cultural nuances from south africa to east africa to obviously europe and us and i think one of the key learnings have been that while clients globalize people don't and culture is very deep rooted so let me reiterate that while clients globalize mm-hmm. people don't because culture is very very deep rooted so what it means is that while you are doing business in a new geography you need to also understand which culture they come what sports they follow what is happening in their local political context what are the kind of foods they do etc etc so for example when i was selling in south africa and while obviously they play cricket rugby is their biggest sport and a lot of time your client conversation will start about a rugby 
a tournament or what was happening in the game previously i started following springboks which is the local team which is very famous versus when you are trying to sell someone in the us or even say all lot of european countries that football is very big like unlike india where cricket is the conversation and especially during ipl context that's how we discuss with teams and clients but uh, in each country they have a different cultural nuance in terms of politics and sports and even food for that matter and again thankfully i am non vegetarian i could survive but i know for example if you are trying to go out meeting in east asia you will get a chopsticks yeah. and if you are not able to eat with chopsticks it looks a little silly when you are taking your clients out you are they're taking yeah. you out for lunch so i think clients globalize people don't and culture is deep rooted so having those local understanding and even if you can pick up few words in the local languages that can really make a lot of difference so i think that is very very important but beyond that people are people anywhere once you mm-hmm. people are able to fit with their cultural nuances and say start following their sports they have the same fears and the same aspirations and the same hopes how we have say here in india or uh-huh. so i for example started enjoying chinese hot pot which is a very interesting dish in china or brazilian cachaça which is their local like i can say cocktail which is very popular to a sake in japan for example so the yeah a lot of culinary skills i have honestly developed thanks to this travels the last few mm-hmm. years great I'm, i'll try those when i'm visiting this geographies thanks for that ankit uh, we got to know a lot about uh, building local and selling global now we would like to know a little more about yourself and we would uh, st- start with a few questions around that uh, so the first thing which we would like to know is while many people follow you who do you follow yep so again i think the way i look at my reading and following people i divide into three different buckets one is obviously like in my own industry in my own vertical i would follow thought leaders analysts etc which is just to improve the context and the local information about my vertical which is more ad tech and that's where there is like for example benedict evans who's a very good guy who talks about ad tech and the whole tech ecosystem is someone i really mm-hmm. follow read his newsletters of example if you want to follow about indian startup community then obviously there are these uh, the ken for example is a very good publication etc yeah then a lot of my work is around business development as well as sales and etc so any reading material or any podcast like yours for example is where i would want to follow where i know what's the new trends happening in sales for example these days sales engagement is moving completely automated people are doing a lot of outbound sales through interesting tools and what's mm-hmm. happening in the sales domain and overall for example a hbr or a knowledge at water is a very good resource for your vertical or for your domain knowledge and the third piece is i try to completely not read anything about my domain or my own industry but completely different to get a very different perspective and broaden your horizon so for example of late these days i am very interested in world history and i am trying to read like a books about world history like whether it is discovery of india from jawaharlal nehru or for example there's an interesting course on course era about world history which covers the last 300 years and very interesting facets you realize and that's where i started realizing that while history does not repeat itself it often rhymes what is happening today whether it is in an indian context or us context with all the elections is not that it is happening for the first time such kind of like the whole polarity which is happening the whole right wing left wing has happened all in the past and that's why it is always fascinating to connect those dots see what has happened in the past to look back to look forward and how things will shape up i think that is where i try to love this trend spotting and these days that fascination is with world history great that's nice 
and ankit you've grown really well over this last few years right from those days where you started as a technical analyst at microsoft to currently where you're director of business development at apple what makes you remain growth focused so again since i talked about world history let me give an interesting fun fact for your listeners so any idea like do you know what was the contribution of india and china to the world gdp till 1500 in fact we were the, i know about it so we were the largest gdp contributors and then correct absolutely so till 1820 india and china together used to contribute almost 60 to 65% of the world gdp right imagine okay. till 1820 yeah. for the almost 1500 years phrase from we started counting it was like almost that high and then over the last like i'll say 200 years that number has really come low in fact today the contribution of china and india together is just 20 to 22% of which india is yeah. much smaller and this yes. was a, like an interesting conundrum which i really got perplexed trying to figure out what made that change right how how did the growth really flip from asia especially india china to some of these western european countries and mind you even in 1820 whether it was india whether it was the china ming dynasty or qing dynasty as well as the mughals you are equally large in population we had mm-hmm. access to the same resources same manufacturing practices which had come up etc mm-hmm. and in that time like india was the biggest uh, trader in terms of spices tea and so was china with the way silk right but despite mm-hmm. that the numbers today two and a half uh, centuries are very very different right and i think when i drill down and i think that i'll relate to back to what makes me remain growth focused is that like the differences were largely two three things one was mm-hmm. i think by early 1800s european figured out the whole notion of time and better so they were able to build the better mechanical clocks they which mm-hmm. let them build a sense of longitude which helped them build better ships and bigger navies which helped them mm-hmm. transcend the whole oceans and that's why the europeans were the first to discover whether it was australia or even america for that matter right so they in those big navies and ships were able to travel far east or far west where they mm-hmm. discovered all these new places with that they were very relentless right so this is the time in 1800s where there was growth of the lot of royal institutions and academics they always had that quest for knowledge to discover for example god laws right so it, in the 1880s in the 1820s 30s is when for example a lot of invention happened around steam engine around electricity was uh, first invented during that time or even the whole evolution theory by charles darwin uh, mm-hmm. happened around that time so and then there was a lot of collaboration so there was a lot of collective cumulative knowledge there was this whole r&d mindset which really mm-hmm. took the whole industrial revolution which also then led to commercial and military revolution etc etc so i think going back to your question of what really helps me growth focus is this whole urge to continuously keep learning new things that urge okay. to never settle that restlessness mm-hmm. that there could always be a better way a different process and improved process to keep improvement or continuous improvement is something which really helps me growth focused thanks and ankit let's say if you could time travel at this particular minute and you're going back to the day where you started your career in the corporate world what would be the suggestion that you would give to your younger self at that time so i i think interesting point and uh, if i can reflect and go back in time i think the only one recommendation i'll give myself and this could be true for a lot of your listeners who are just starting their career is that try to always build a t shaped persona when i mm-hmm. say t shaped is like as a professional or a human being we need to build a plethora of interests and hobbies while you may have one skill set or one area of expertise and that's why it is like a t so you have depth in a certain skill set or a certain domain 
but you have a broad understanding of multiple domains interest across not just your domain but like other aspects right because as you grow up in your career ladder you realize that changes learning etc doesn't happen in isolation it happens much more at a system level so while you would continue to excel and maybe get paid for that specialized skill right that is sales for me but as you go broader you will realize that breadth of domains like whether it is economics finance operations that all together comes to have magic happen that all is required to make a business happen to like grow and i think if you can build that broad horizon breadth of skill sets knowledge learning you will be much more smarter 10 years from now where you'll be able to connect the dots faster you'll be able to uncover signal from noise and then accordingly take relevant actions right Ankit, the other thing I learned from your LinkedIn profile is you do meditation and I'm also a meditation practitioner. So wanted to understand from you, how has meditation helped you? Yep, so I think that's the other advice I give a lot to my team members and in general and also my students that I think what has happened in the last 20 years and this term which New York Times coined called VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, chaos has really grown, right? And the whole notion of stress has suddenly become distress and it becomes even more relevant in today's covid times right and this distress can manifest in terms of loss of productivity too much worriness insomnia it can affect your physical body so and so forth so i think what mindful meditation has really done is that it helps me like really zoom out so one of the things is that whenever i have a stress situation and when i'm meditating i think from a perspective that the current situation i'm in how will it i feel about it say tomorrow next week next month or even next year or if it was not me and if i look at it from a stranger's point of view does that worry is really so worrisome will it really matter so i think that way mindful meditation has really helped me and the other is obviously and this is again a classic problem that grounding is missing we in our life a lot of our waking times we are either fretting about the past or worrying about the future rather than focusing energies on the present and i think mindful meditation really helps you to think about the present in your grounding and worry about or think about today rather than worrying about the past or worrying about the future so i think these are the two aspects zoning out or zooming out as well as mm-hmm. present thinking is some of those aspects where mindful meditation is really helpful i've been practicing it for the last couple of years and i strongly recommend and today again there are several apps out there 10 minute every day and it all adds up in the long term great and yeah uh, definitely recommended in the current times for everyone in fact uh, interesting prayer i learned in one of the meditation which again becomes very true today is that hey god give me the serenity to accept what i can't change courage to what i can change and wisdom to know the difference nice really well said we'll have to quote that with your profile photo ankit uh, we'll move to the next round which is the speeded round and i would request you to keep the answers to this questions really short maybe in a few words any quote that you leave by uh, i read this quote recently actually not recently but quite some time but yeah, i have been following it very actively and it is life has a way to punish a vague wish but reward a specific ask i'll maybe repeat it life has a way to punish vague wishes but reward a mm-hmm. specific ask and if you give me wow. two more uh, sentences i'll dwell a lot on it and literally bring it to life so what i've seen sure. is that many a times in order to drive change you don't have to take big actions you have to do small moves but consistent moves so one needs that intense targeted focus to keep mm-hmm. repeating the same behavior and it happens really and i give an example right like every year the one of the biggest resolution which people make is losing uh, weight and they come up with lofty goals that they will lose weight and then all of us know that 
within few weeks or some months this whole resolution fizzles out but rather than taking like a yearly goal instead if you can take a very focused approach ki yaar every day i will have one chapati less or i will have a half bowl of uh, curry versus a full bowl or maybe if i like desserts i'll only do it for sundays so you are able to remove that whole decision making etc and you make it like an autopilot kind of activity and small move every day will add up to big change there so that's why life has a way to punish vague wishes but reward a specific task great any daily habit that has been a game changer for you other than meditation yeah i think connected to meditation is single tasking and in our culture especially when i was growing up in early of my career we used to take pride around oh we can do multitask i am writing emails i am making presentation i am maybe watching tv at the same time and that has been a big big bummer what i've realized thanks to meditation is that if you can have that focus doing only one thing at present and only do that can really really make your life much more decluttered and you are able to be more productive and effective and even when you are doing certain task you get an idea or some kind of thing it happens many a times that i am doing something and i get a good idea or a task i remember i have to do it i make it a point that i ink it then and there and then the my mind is decluttered to focus on the task which i am doing so single tasking is one of the interesting habit which has really helped me to be much more effective and efficient thanks and one last question over there define ankit travel in one word maybe i'll say balance and that obviously goes because i am a libran i have my birthday in few days from now but what i've realized that is i am someone who try to find balance whether it is work and play whether it is the old ways of doing things or new experience i am seeking for whether it is professional time or personal time balance is one word which you can define and associate it well with me thanks Thanks a lot Ankit for sharing answers to this many questions. How can the audience stay connected with you? So I'm very active on LinkedIn so you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. The only again request there is that be very specific to me when you're trying to reach out. Every day I get 10 to 15 requests and unless the person specifically asks me why they want to connect I don't accept it. So be very focused there and uh, why you're trying to reach out. So LinkedIn is one medium where you can reach out and obviously I'm also active on Twitter. So these are the two handles you can stay connected. Great. Any parting thoughts that you would like to share with our audience? See, because we are in unprecedented times, so maybe something around COVID, right? Because I think COVID has really brought too much change in too short span of time, right? And whether we are as individuals, whether it is as companies, as teams, or even society at large, we really have are seeing unprecedented times, right? And for some people, it is about survival. For some, it is about revival. I think the most important aspect which I have learned in the last six months, where we completely from not going to like I used to travel like crazy for almost ten days in a month. I used to be on a plane, jumping across time zones, languages. We've been grounded for the last six months, and I think what I've realized that in this new normal and going forward, capability, ability to unlearn and relearn and adapt will be much more important than capability. So, capability to the changing circumstances and this. like vuka world is only going to increase capability mm-hmm. is much more important than capability in today's world so that openness to quickly unlearn and relearn new skills mindset i think is the most important virtue and irrespective of which domain or which vertical or which business function you are in the quicker you can adapt and learn i think you will really hold you good in your long career out there thanks thank you ankit for sharing that in fact it was a wonderful session and in fact i added many words to my own vocabulary first one all the simple it was really well said core versus chore 
well said on that the culpability was really interesting well said again uh, the other one was yuka uh, which i was not aware of but uh, thanks for sharing that as well it was really great having you on this particular show thank you for joining us no, absolutely thanks for having me here today thank you ankit thank you so much for listening to this episode of the growth genius i hope you learned something today that would help you to grow if you did please share this episode with your friends and family if you are listening to this on the infidigit website i would request you to use the podcast app on iphone or download google podcast or spotify on your android phone subscribing to this podcast will ensure that you get the episodes regularly on your phone the podcast icons near the audio streaming widget on the infidigit website should help you to navigate to the show on your podcast app also if you haven't yet please subscribe to the growth genius show wherever you are listening to this podcast thank you so much for listening now go out there and create growth for yourself and your company thank you